in this episode of the Parent Hope Podcast. So I think, you know, without partnering and sitting down and, and, and having parents feel like the school is on, on the side of understanding their child as they understand them, it, it's almost as if two camps can develop. And so it really is important to work together and, and really understand the, the student from both different perspectives. Well, hello again and welcome back to a new season of the Parent Hope podcast. I trust that those of you in the Southern Hemisphere have had a really good and restful summer break. We have been busy preparing a new range of conversations and interviews for you, and I'm really looking forward to sharing them with you. Our episode today explores the all-important topic, parents and schools. How can parents partner with schools to increase student and family confidence. Well, it is my great pleasure today to welcome Dr. Robin Schultz uh, as our guest. Um, She is coming all the way from the greater Chicago area. It's evening where you are, Robin, and morning where I am. We're (laughs) speaking from top ends of the, the globe. And um, Dr. Robin Schultz is a retired school social worker with 20 years of experience working in schools in the Chicago area. Robin is now in private practice, working with a whole range of client presentations, very experienced in Bowen Family Systems Theory, has been on faculty at one of the network centers in Chicago and is just the right person to be speaking on today's topic, how parents can partner with schools to increase student and family confidence. It's a great topic, Robin. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. I wonder wonder what you would say about this choice of topic, because we went back and forth on emails a little bit on the topic. Do you want to just say a little bit about your choice of this longer topic, a big sentence about parents partnering with schools to increase both student and family confidence? There's a lot in there. Any thoughts on your choice of of the topic? I chose the title of the topic because I think there's a lot involved in parent and, and school partnerships to begin with. Um, and I think that uh, there's um, sometimes a lower level of confidence on the parents' part when they think that the school is uh, the, profession, the professional in the situation and dealing with their child. And I think this, the school sometimes doesn't really um, give the parents a chance to use their input. And so, I, I, you know, my experience in schools taught me that we really have to build a partnership from the, the beginning to, in order to... Um, best service for schools uh, and parents and children. Well, it will be good to think with you about what makes for a strong partnership and what are some of the pitfalls there. Um, what do you think? Let's start with that. What makes for positive partnerships between parents and schools? I think parents and um, teachers have to be able to work together to um, provide the best experience for the student. And I think parents 
often, um, you know, they entrust their children with schools, and they also know their children in a different setting. And so schools, you know, receive children, and they work with them, and um, they they see the child from their perspective as parents are seeing the child from their perspective. And it, if we don't partner together and understand that, um, you know, the child can be two different uh you know, be in two different environments and demonstrate different skills in both settings, um, there can end up being a blame game or a misunderstanding. And so I think the uh, the partnership is really important in order to um, service a student or a child in, to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. Really helpful to think about how the child can present quite differently, even different capacities in different environments. If I got that right, that's what you're saying. And so mm-hmm. what can both students and teachers and educators, I mean parents, sorry, what can parents and educators do with that awareness that the child can be quite different in different environments? I think it can be useful for um, for schools to understand that their their students are um, they're more comfortable in their homes. They have different relationships with their parents and their siblings, um, and you know realize that when a parent says that, that you know the student is looks different or isn't able to perform a skill at home, um, that they hear they're performing at school. I think it's important for both parties to realize that nobody is misreporting and nobody is um, wrong. We're just seeing the student responding to their environment in different ways because they're in different environments. So understanding Mm -hmm. that helps Mm -hmm. us work together to get a more, um, um, a broader understanding of what the student is capable of and what uh, environmental factors they may or may not be responding to at school or at home. Yeah, yeah. So that's a theme coming right through is that the environment does play a part. It's not just all about the individual child. And I'm thinking about how important it is for both sides to be curious and listen to the other, what's to understand the child in the different contexts. Are those conversations that you would encourage between teachers and parents? Yes, absolutely. I would encourage them. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to my own experience working in the school system, and um, one of the functions of my job, besides you know, working with students, of course, and then working with families and teachers, but one of my the greater functions of my job was to do something called a functional analysis, which sounds very clinical and uh, mm-hmm. you know hard to understand, but in reality, it was very simple. And this I found to be, and I'll explain what that is in just a minute, but what I found it to be a real conversation starter with parents um, after doing this, this functional analysis, which was observing their student, their child, in the school setting and looking for environmental um, factors that may impact the student's um, behavior or their learning or any part of them. And those environmental factors are not necessarily just um, things that, you know, concrete things that happen. They're us as teachers and social workers Mm -hmm. um, that impacted the student's behavior. And so being able to sit down with a parent and say, listen to what I've learned. I was so surprised to see this. But coming at it from a uh, place of curiosity and 
um, just intrigue and then sharing it with the parent and hearing them be as surprised and intrigued as well um, helped to really build bridges um, over time and working with parents, you know, throughout a school year to develop this relationship and this common ground of understanding their, their child or their student was really helpful. Mm-hmm. What strikes me, Robin, as you describe this functional assessment is it's looking at the whole child and their 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 coping and their capacities and where they struggle. It's observable behaviors and um, ways of of managing their, the school context in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And that is so different to a lot of the current focus. It's certainly here in Australia. I wonder what it's like in the US where they, there's a lot of monitoring looking for clinical symptoms and tracking the presence of clinical mental health symptoms in the children and filling in surveys of the children. Does that go on in your country? And what do you think is the effect of it compared to this more whole child curiosity about their different capacities? That is common in our school system. And in in the schools in the United States, we have typically we have a school psychologist and a school social worker who share a lot of the same functions, but they differ in just that is the, the psychologist, the school psychologists use a lot of those assessment tools and questionnaires and a lot of their background and experience in, um, you know, assessing from that that vantage point. School social workers typically um, do more observational uh, assessment, and that means looking at the environment and looking at, you know, um, looking at students in their daily activities without any preconceived ideas about what might be going on and just looking at what happened first, what was the behavior, what happened afterwards. And then, you know, looking at that for a period of a half an hour, 45 minutes and recording it without any preconceived idea of what's happening. And then later sitting down and realizing, okay, when this, when a staff person or a teacher says something to the student, this is what typically happened. And look, it happened five or six times. And, you know, or when, Mm -hmm. you know, the bell went off, this is what happened. And so you can really get a clear, observable picture of what impacts this particular student. Um, And, you know, you can start to understand what kinds of things are um, having the uh, ability to change the behavior in in a student, whether it's Um, words, language being used by a particular person, a particular time of day, a subject, another child, it it really can be helpful. Mm -hmm. It's that's very useful to to think about and it reminds me of a lot of the work that with Parent Hope Project programs happens with parents and their clinician is let's just track um, the, the behavior, not make interpretations, not focus on the symptoms particularly, but to see the back and forth and how much insight can come from that. So I'm hearing that you're doing something similar in the school environment, which is really interesting. When you think about partnerships with parents and schools, what are the key things in your vast experience tend to get in the way of positive partnerships that, as you say, increase 
both the students and the family's confidence? What can derail those outcomes? I think um, they can be derailed when there's a breakdown in communication between uh, school staff and parents. Um, when there is a, a preconceived idea on maybe the parents' part that the school doesn't understand their child um, because children, you know, do function differently in their homes than they do in school. Sometimes it's hard for yeah. for the school to believe that the child can't perform a particular um, task at home that they're clearly you know, performing at school and vice versa. Um, it's hard for mm-hmm. parents to believe that a student can actually do these tasks in school that they're not able to do at home. Um, and so I think, you know, without partnering and sitting down and, and, and having parents um, feel like the school is on, uh, on the side of understanding their child as they understand them, um, it, it's almost as if two camps can develop. And so it really is important to work together and and, um, and really understand the, the student from both different perspectives. Do you have any thoughts on what you see on parents and teachers understanding their, their roles, if you like, um, and not getting confused about who's responsible for what. My, my mm-hmm. sense is in talking to parents that, and as you've already mentioned, there can be a, a frustration with the school, a sense of, of blame and wanting to move in and tell the school how to do their job and probably vice versa. Mm-hmm. What have you found of that kind of role confusion over the years? Uh, that it exists. Um, that, mm-hmm. you know, there is, there can be, um, you know, on a, a, a sort of a cross blaming. And if we let that take the lead um, without partnering early, um, it, it can be prevalent throughout the student's school experience. Mm-hmm. But it's not helpful. I mean, what is really helpful is trusting that, okay, I have some information as, as, a, as a school social worker or another school professional. I have some information, but not all. And the parents have some information, but not all. And so, um, you know, if we can recognize that, you know, we are working together and I may have pieces, but not everything that I need. Um, I'm going to have to rely on my partner, the parent, or my partner, the school professional to have the whole picture of the child. I think that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Robin, do you, can you think of any examples? It will be hard to select one from all of your years of involvement in schools, but an example of when a, a, a problematic blaming relationship between parent and school and student in the mix of it all, how that turned around, how that moved in a, a more thoughtful direction. And, and what goes into that happening? Yeah, I, mean, I actually can think of many examples, but I'll just sort of go with a theme that um, comes to mind is that, you know, when there is a relationship between parent and school that doesn't gel right from the beginning, I think a turning point can be when the parent understands that the school um, has their best interest and the best interest of the student at heart. And um, that you know, there's, there's so many formal meetings that take place in schools, 
but those kinds of understandings, I think, come from the more informal meetings. Um, many times as a school social worker, when there was a relationship with a parent that had started off bumpy, um, I would go out of my way to contact the parent just through a phone call. Um, you know, whenever I saw the student doing something at school that was um, just really delightful or something that caught my attention, and I would just call and say, hey, guess what I saw today? This is what he did. And parents, like, mm-hmm. they, they enjoy knowing that the school staff is seeing the, the positive sides of their student and, you know, is really invested and likes the student. And so I thought, you know, I found that building a personal relationship with the parent in addition to the relationship around their student was really key. That's a great example because it has me thinking that the majority of times the parent gets a call from the school, it's about a problem or a real concern. And you're describing something quite different, attending to the child's progress and capacities rather than the problems. Is there any more you want to add to that shift? In focus, problem focus, compared to the kind of being aware of the whole child. And, of course, no school social worker, well-being teacher can be across every child to do this. So uh, any more thoughts on how to do this realistically and not get caught in just parents are called in when there's a problem? I think, um, you know, we... just like you said, Jenny, we call parents whenever there's a problem, but I think being mindful that, you know, the, the student is more than just negative behavior that they may or may not demonstrate or low academics where they're capable. Um, and, you know, just making it a priority to pay attention to the positive and try to turn the relationship. I, you know, we've talked about sort of the um, the semantics of parent and school relationships, but there's this whole other side of prioritizing seeing the child in a a positive light no matter what. Um, And so I think as school staff, you know, I often observed, you know, sometimes teachers would get frustrated with a child or, you know, administrators myself, um, but not making that the relationship. Um, Making sure that we um, lowered the intensity that we Um, placed on the relationship with a child. And so I would try and work with teachers also to be more casual around those problematic students and be more um, humorous at times and try to balance the the focus that we gave to the problems and and counterbalance it by giving, you know, as much focus as just casual interaction like we would with any student. And that went so far in turning students around sometimes when they were just adults that were now interacting with them in a, in a lighthearted, positive way when, you know, the student themselves in, might have in their mind, you know, I'm, I'm the problem student, and so I have to play that role. But being treated as if, no, you're a great student, it just helps shift the focus, I think, on the, from the adult's angle and also on the, on the student's um, perception of who they are. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So it's really showing that this is dealing with the relationship, not Mm -hmm. the individual child here, and Mm -hmm. that the adult has a part to play in shifting the tone of that relationship. Um, 
from a that that's very much a family systems lens um, in terms of where it's tackling the emotional process, the back and forth between people, rather than trying to fix or change another. For those who don't know too much about a Bowen family systems approach, how, how do you bring that lens into your work in schools, Robin? Um, I used to talk a lot about it um, when I would do the functional analysis and then I would always sit down with staff members um, who worked with that particular student prior to talking with parents about the information found. Um, and tried to, in, in sort of layman's terms, let um, people know, teachers and administrators and other adults working with the student, to, you know, that the focus needs to shift from the student sometimes to ourselves. And we need, you know, to kind of think about how um, our interactions with the student um, impact the student. And so we would do some role playing and how do you be more casual and friendly and warm when you're very, very frustrated mm -hmm. because this is a normal thing. Um, and those short sessions that we had where we really talked about this is what was found in the functional analysis, this is how we as adults can change our behavior um, to impact, hopefully, maybe impact the student's response, um, and then practice it and talk each other through it was very helpful. Yeah. Do you think it's a similar process with parents and their child to teachers looking at their part? Um, I do. I do think it is a similar process. I, um, not to get too in-depth, but I, I did conduct my research in this area and, you know, very low-level um, intervention, really no intervention, just looking at factors that um, in, in the schools and in the home in terms of adult interaction with students and what the impact was. And, and I did see that there was um, some impact in the intensity of the relationship between the, adult, the adults and students that impacted their um, response. And so, you know, I do. Hmm. Yeah. Well, for listeners, I have some of your publications listed in front of me, Robin, and I see that your doctorate, that the topic is really quite something It gets my attention. It's getting to the bottom of anxiety using Bowen Family Systems concepts to examine the impact of family interaction patterns on a child's academic and social emotional functioning at school. <laughs> it's great. There's a lot. There's a lot of wealth of scholarship and knowledge and research to tap into with you. Of course, we don't have too much time, but um, from all of that research, and your lived experience, how do you think parents can best deal with their worries about their child and how they're doing at school? I could ask the same question about teachers, of course, and you might want to take both. But um, so, so let's do that. Let's say how can parents best deal with their worries about a child and their, how they're managing at school? We'll start with that one and then you can add your thoughts for, from the other side. So um, I think in terms of parents, and as you mentioned earlier, I'm in private practice, and I have been in private practice for quite a while, and practicing from a systems perspective, because that's my belief. Um, even though I'm also trained psychodynamically, and, and I 
you know, value that training systems functioning has helped me to really understand, um, you know, family functioning, uh, my own, you know, family functioning and other family functioning. And so to get to your, to your question, I think parents and teachers, but parents can really um, shift, if they can shift their focus away from trying to change their child, and I'll just add in there, or their spouse or their, you know, everybody, but mm-hmm. they can shift their focus from trying to change their change their child to a focus on themselves. And we we use that language, you know, all the time and we can talk about it, but we don't, I don't think, really let ourselves understand exactly what that means and what it kind of looks like. But if we can study that and kind of realize it's pretty simple, but it is pretty profound to shift the focus from somebody else to ourselves. Um, And it's profound because the being that it's a system and all relationships are systems the relationship system changes. If I change my behavior or my thinking and my perception, the relationship cannot not change. It just, it changes. And I think that goes, you know, that speaks to parents and children. And there's a whole host of other relationships that we could talk about, but we're not going to do that today. Um, and the same thing goes mm-hmm. for teachers in school. If they can change, shift the focus to their own thinking and their own behavior. And, and when I use the term behavior, I mean, how do we interact with um, others? And there's a lot that goes into that that you know we need we can talk about, but it really comes down to us focusing on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you clarified for listeners that this is the focus on self is on our own thinking and our behaviors and how we behave in different contexts in different ways. It's that kind of focus on self, because I do have quite a few parents say, are you telling me just to leave my child be and get on (laughs) with my own life and work all the time and look after myself? And it's quite confusing for parents to hear focus on self. Have you had that experience with parents that they confuse that message? And it's such a different message from all the focus on children's needs and children's mental health. Your thoughts on that, Robin? Yeah, I've had that same experience. Um, One of the things that I do now, I I, I work with parents in my practice now as well. Um, And so one of the the things that I teach parents, you know, to, to say to their children, if they're willing, is I have all the confidence in you that you can figure this out. Um, and, you know, statements like that are very simple, but really changing our language a little bit that shifts the responsibility for the problems being solved from us to our children. is It's really easy to do, and it, it delivers a message to them that they're capable. And so um, I think that's, a you know, one of the ways that I uh, try to make that happen or help parents come to that conclusion. Yeah. Yeah, helpful. And um, for parents to really believe that, as opposed to just say it as a technique, how do they get there? (laughs) Well, it's almost like act as if first and, you know, the feelings will follow. It's going to take a while, but if you can fake it till you make it, it can be helpful. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked a lot about parents and parents in school and I am just aware of the value of the big thinking you've done on this topic. I did read one of your recent papers on some of the problems that you see with schools and policy 
and you outlined a list of problems. And there are three I'm going to summarize because I just think they relate so well to this topic. The first is that you're seeing in the broader society that children stress in all its variations, um, chronic stress, different kinds of relationship stress, all variations of stress have been collapsed into a single category of trauma. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just pause on that one. I didn't give you a heads up that I was going to ask you about it, but I was reading your paper and thinking, wow, yeah, I'm seeing that all around. Everything gets labeled as trauma. Do you have some thoughts that relate to this podcast of how is that impacting the way schools and parents are relating to students? I do have some thoughts about that. Um, when when I was working in the school system, which was up until 2021, and so that was through the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but even before that, there's been a shift in, in student, in mental health in schools towards um, educating educators about trauma and, um, you know, a, a main focus on how to deal with trauma, what it is. And I, you know, I saw all those, I thought about them, I um, understood them, I think, pretty well. But I also think that a focus on trauma um, takes a giant shift away from focusing on the opportunities that come from trauma. And, you know, I, my approach in private practice and even when I worked in the school system was, yes, let's acknowledge trauma exists and it exists in the student, but let's not dwell on that. Let's see how we can use this to shift the focus towards what the student can do. Um, that is, you know, sometimes trauma is a good springboard for, for resiliency. Mm -hmm. you know? mm, yeah. The, the other thing that you write about is just how different stressors schools and policymakers may miss that they happen, not just in the individual. And you've spoken about that so clearly today. They're in an environment of lots of back and forth, variation of direction processes in relationship between people and between the environment and just how much adult behaviors I'm reading some some of your words here how adult behaviors and interaction both amongst themselves and with students can impact student outcomes so it's moving from this everything's about treating trauma to let's look at the relationship environment and I think that's so useful and deserves more attention. Mm -hmm. How do you think that educators can give this appropriate attention? Well, I think I had the benefit and, and I'm gonna say also the, the curse of going through a voluntary postgraduate training program while I was still in my school career. And I say curse, not really meaning that, but um, it did, uh, it, it, it woke me up to learning about the um, reciprocal interaction patterns that develop amongst people in general. And um, the, the school system was a microcosm of that for me. Um, it was, you know, it happens in families and I, you know, I was aware of learning the family system's approach. I have a family myself, um, but the school system, there are so many stressors that go on on a day-to-day -day basis, I was able to observe and recognize how I had been a part of a lot of different interaction patterns that were 
occurring in school systems just because they're a self-contained building with lots of adults. And so um, seeing these patterns and experiencing them and being a part of them and then seeing students and how they sometimes were caught in the middle of the adult interaction patterns was mind-boggling to me. Um, and I think I've probably gotten far away from your question, but but that was that was where that came from in that article. You could see just how important that back and forth interaction pattern between the adults is. So to pull it back together, listeners are probably thinking we're going off on a whole new track away from the topic of how can parents partner with schools. How would you summarize? what parents can do if they see that the school interactions are very anxious and intense around their child and other children, what can parents do about that? Well, I think, I, I think possibly the first thing they could do is just kind of learn more about it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for myself, it was, you know, knowledge, you know, kind of brought it into my awareness of, you know, how, how I function in, in in you know my job and my relationships and so then I started seeing it in other people um, so I think learning a little bit more about our functioning you know the part that um, exists even if we don't recognize it or know about it or pay attention to it um, can be a, a good first step um, in terms of how can parents um, you know deal with that in terms of schools I think school mental health right now is in somewhat of a crisis um, in, in public mm-hmm. education because there there is a lot going on in, in school mental health and social-emotional um, functioning of students and staff and things like that. And there needs to be some change. And, and I know that the, you know, public school systems, you know, are looking at that. But I feel like we need to take a step outside of what we've already done over the decades and try something different. And to me, that is looking at functioning in, you know, in between humans and uh, learning more about how we can manage ourselves in a way that's going to be helpful and healthful for our kids. Mm. It reminds me of one of the pieces that has stood out for me from Dr. Bowen's writing, that when there are symptoms, the focus on functioning rather than fixing is Mm -hmm. so much more useful. Function, not fix. And mm-hmm. I think I'm hearing that coming from your lived experience in, in the school environment and your private work with parents as well. We need to pull this together, Robin. It's been so interesting. Is there anything you'd like to say to summarize how parents can best deal with their worries about their children and how they're doing at school? I think in summary, it would just be what we've been talking about, Jenny, is, um, you know, open open our minds to the idea that maybe if I make some changes in my own functioning, it will impact the, the functioning of, of my child. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I can start to understand better how I can, um, what I can do to function with, you know, better with, with schools. And, you know, the same, the same thinking shift needs to occur, I believe, on, on that part of schools. Great. That's a really nice place to to wrap it up. Lots to think about. And this word functioning, just uh, definition, how is this one? It's just uh, focus on how we manage Mm ourselves 
mm-hmm. in each situation. Is that a, a good definition for people who are not familiar with the idea of that word functioning? Yes. How do I manage myself? How do I maintain my own calm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Well, Robin, this has been a really useful conversation. I think it will be useful for many people, parents and teachers in school, mental health professionals as well. So I really appreciate your time and sharing your experience and your scholarship with us today. Thank you, Dr. Schultz. Thank you for having me on, Jenny. Thanks for joining me today on the Parent Hope Podcast. I trust it's left you with helpful ideas about how a focus on managing yourself as a parent, rather than trying to change your child, brings renewed hope and confidence. And you can find loads of extra helpful resources to support you in your parenting role on our website, parenthopeproject.com.au, on social media, Facebook, Insta. You'll find on the website loads of blogs, podcasts on a whole range of topics, and there are some seminars and courses that you can do online. You can also find a trained parent coach. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with those who you think might benefit. And stay tuned for more interesting interviews and discussions.